Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50, as we continue our look at this Luke's record of Jesus' life, Luke 7, the last portion of the chapter. From verse 36 to the end, and after the reading of Scripture, we'll sing together the uh, Gloria Patri, which is in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that who even forgives sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word, amen. Let us bow please for a moment of prayer. Our heavenly fathers, we come to your word today. We thank you for it. Thank you for the gift of your truth. Thank you for this account of Jesus' life and I pray, Lord, that you would please enlighten our minds and our hearts. May the Spirit do his work among us to draw us to Christ. I pray that you will enable me to proclaim your truth clearly and carefully and effectively. And that most of all, you would be glorified as we consider this text. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The aim of the gospel writers is to draw your attention to Christ and have you appreciate him and what he has come to do and get to know who he is. And uh, we see Jesus in this particular passage 
uh, demonstrating and uh, unveiling and distributing his great love and redeeming mercy in the forgiveness of sins. And we have this statement in verse 49 by those people there at the, at the meal, who is this who even forgives sins? And it's a statement of marveling. It's a statement of amazement. And we have recorded really throughout the gospels a number of times when, whether at Jesus' teaching or whether a miracle that he performed, uh, we are told that they were amazed or they were marveling at him. And so really it's for you to marvel at Jesus and what he has done that is, I think, the goal of the message today. Do we marvel at him? Do we, are we amazed? Now, those same words were used a few chapters earlier in Luke when the paralytic was lowered through the roof down in front of Jesus before he healed the man. Uh, he said to him, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees gathered around there, asked a similar question, though not out of marvel or amazement, but out of judgment. And they said, uh, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they asked the question, who is this? But they weren't meaning it out of amazement. They were meaning it out of judgment. These people at the meal, perhaps, maybe some of them were uh, marveling in faith. Uh, but they, who is this? We're going to see it come, uh, the, the same question come up again in the next chapter when, when Jesus is out on the Galilean Sea with his disciples and the storm comes and he's asleep and they have to wake him up and he gets up and he tells the waves to be still and he calms the storm and the disciples say, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You and I are brought to marvel at Christ. Who is this one? <clears throat> and marvel specifically for the administration or the forgiveness of sins. We've already been kind of drawn to think about that. We marvel not only at Jesus Christ, but also at the marvel of God forgiving sins. Remember what was read earlier from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the, whole, the Lord, Lord our God, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins. God takes away your sins, and he goes on to say in Psalm 103 that uh, as a father, he has compassion on the, us, and he takes our sins as far as the east is from west and separates our sins from us. But the accuser wants us to always remember our sins. But God doesn't. He's removed our sin. It's a marvel of grace. There's one other Old Testament text. If you wanted to turn there, you could. It's the last few verses of Micah, <clears throat> the Old Testament minor prophet of Micah. Uh, chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. We have a, a similar uh, parallel passage to what we saw in Psalm 103. So Micah 7, 18, who is a God like you 
who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of, of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And Micah's writing to encourage the people of God as they're coming out of captivity that God is going to have mercy on them and he's going to take their sins and he's going to put them at the bottom of the sea where they can't be found. So you and I are reminded of the wonder and marvel of God's mercy and forgiveness of our sins. When we sin, we do sin against the holy God and we are justly and rightfully guilty. And that guilt becomes a great burden on us. But God takes away that sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that burden of guilt is taken away. The accuser doesn't want you to think that. And you'll self-accuse yourself and you won't think that. But God's buried those out of sight. He's taken them away. And what we see in this passage is a woman who is, has been forgiven her sins. And the outpouring of her love to Christ is shown in her actions. She's full of amazement at God's mercy. And she demonstrates her deep love and appreciation and affection for the Savior because the one who has been forgiven much loves much. So we get into this story and the, one of the things we see in this passage is uh, there's a dinner being held and there is an unwelcome guest at this meal. Now, if your minds were to initially go to the sinful woman that came into the feast, you could be excused for that, but that's not who the unwelcome guest is. Uh, this Pharisee, we learn his name is Simon, has invited Jesus to come and, and have a meal with him, but Jesus is not the honored guest. This meal is nothing like the one that Matthew gave, uh, recorded for us a few chapters earlier, when Matthew prepared a banquet for Jesus, Jesus was the honored guest. He got the chief seat. Uh, Matthew was, wanted all his friends to get to know who Jesus was. And he had other tax collectors and <clears throat> sinners come to meet Jesus. But that wasn't Simon's goal here. He wanted, he invited Jesus because out of curiosity. Uh, he wanted to find out what was he all about. Uh, he wanted to, as some people portrayed, kind of a, an experiment uh, to figure out who Jesus was. But he wasn't given the honored seat. In fact, some think he was put at the very bottom of the table near the door where the woman would have... Uh, was able to have, have easier access to him. Uh, he wasn't given water for his feet. He wasn't given the kiss of welcome to this meal. And he wasn't given the oil of anointing 
on his head. He wasn't the guest of honor. Even the, even the normal courtesies of a meal weren't, weren't carried out. And when he received the woman's adoration, Jesus became a profound embarrassment to Simon. Jesus was the unwelcome guest. Does he ever become an unwelcome guest to us? When his word confronts us, when it draws attention to our sin, do we find ourselves uncomfortable and embarrassed by this guest in our lives? Isaiah 53 is such a uh, critique of us. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But Jesus took all that. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He endured the opposition of sinful men for you. He put up with all that. He, <clears throat> he endured all of that. And he endured all of that so that we would marvel at him and marvel at grace, which we do in a wonderful hymn, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? Who caused this pain for, for me? Who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Simon misses it. You and I are to see it. And we have the, after the beginning of the meal, we have the entrance of this woman. She's a sinful woman. We don't know what sin she committed. She's apparently a well-known sinner. Uh, most assume it was some immorality. And she had no, most likely had heard the preaching of Jesus as he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, had seen him perform miracles, had heard the word of grace that had come from his mouth, and God had begun to work faith in her. And when she learned that Jesus was in this home <clears throat> having a meal with this man, uh, this Pharisee, she said, I have to go express my love for the grace that I've come to know. And so she comes into the room and she's not going to, she doesn't care what Simon thinks or what the others might think. She only cares to show her love for Jesus. And she comes over to him and she's brought in an alabaster jar of ointment. But before she can even pour it on him, she bends down to his feet and the tears begin to flow. And she's sobbing out of gratitude. And her tears wash Jesus' feet. And she undoes her hair and uses her hair to, to wipe his feet. And she's kissing his feet this whole time. And she takes the, the oil and anoints his feet and she worships him. 
How would she dare to face the uncomfortable situation? It was because of her love for Christ. She could put up with anything uh, to get close to him and demonstrate to him uh, how much she loved him, how much she was grateful to the mercy that has been shown to her. Well, there's a kind of a confrontation between Simon and, and Jesus. It begins with his wrong assumption. Uh, this was part of his investigation. Why did he have Jesus come? He wanted to kind of figure out what was going on with him. And so he comes to a conclusion and he says, well, if this, if this man was a prophet, obviously he's assuming he's not a prophet. If this man was a prophet, then he would know who this woman was and what kind of woman she was. So clearly his experiment to have Jesus there has shown, well, Jesus isn't a prophet. Quite contrary to his false judgment, Jesus is the prophet. The prophet prophesied by Moses that would come, and when he would come, we are to listen to him. Jesus is the prophet. And Simon is such a sad person. He sees grace being unveiled there in front of him, and he misses it. We have the word of God preached to us, and sometimes we miss it. Or we read it and we're not, we can see it with our eyes or hear it with our ears, but it's not getting in. Simon is missing it. He's got the Lord of glory in front of him and he doesn't see him. Well, Jesus, in, I think in mercy, still trying to reach Simon, tells a little parable. He said there were two men who owed a lot of money to a money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarius was the amount for a, a day's labor from a, a day laborer. And so the one man owed uh, this money lender about a month and a half's wages. <clears throat> the other man owed him a year and a half's wages. A lot of money. And neither one uh, could, could repay the debt. So the money lender, he discharged it, he forgave it, he canceled the debt. You and I, before God, have a debt we cannot pay. And God is going to release that debt because someone else is going to pay it for us. The Lord Jesus Christ will pay it for us. So then Jesus comes to the end of his parable and he he asked Simon the question, now, which one will love him more? Which of those two men that had been forgiven, which one of them will love him more? And we don't know what kind of attitude Simon had. Was he kind of irked that he was caught out? Was he embarrassed? <clears throat> was he reluctant to answer, hesitant? We don't know, but we do know what his words were. And he says, well, I suppose it was the one who had been given, forgiven the greater amount. Suppose? He knew better. He didn't have to suppose it. The answer was right in front of him. He knew it. 
So he's waffling, but he answers correctly. And Jesus says, well, you have answered correctly. But Simon doesn't see himself. He doesn't see what his own condition is. And Jesus turns to the woman, speaking still to Simon, and says, you know, when I came in, you didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't put the anointing oil on my head. And yet this woman, since the moment I got here, has not ceased to kiss my feet, to wash my feet with her tears, and to anoint my feet. She has shown incredible love because whoever is forgiven much loves much. And that woman loved Jesus because she had been forgiven. And she had to demonstrate it. She had to show it. What does that say about Simon? He probably didn't even think he needed forgiveness. Or if he did need forgiveness, it would just be for little things. He wasn't anything like that woman. Oh, no, he wasn't like her. He didn't need to be forgiven because of a lot of things, just maybe some little picadillos, maybe some small forgiveness, but nothing like that woman. And he misses, misses the point. All of us who have sinned against uh, our holy God have a, a huge debt that we cannot pay. And once it's been forgiven, we cannot love enough our Savior. We're filled with wonder and we're filled with marvel at God's forgiving love. And here's this wonderful Savior. And your appreciation and my appreciation of the depth of God's mercy is as deep as our understanding of our need. And when we understand the depth of God's mercy, then the greatness of our love can't be held back. We cannot but love Jesus for all that he has done for us. And so then Jesus turns to the woman and he says to her, your sins have been forgiven. She has come to Christ in faith. She no doubt probably has embraced the message of Christ before this. And now Jesus is giving her two gifts. The first is a confirmation that her sins had been forgiven. To the people around her, she was still the sinful woman. But to God, she was redeemed. She was a child of God. She was forgiven. That debt was paid. It's paid by the blood of the Savior who was in front of her. Uh, her sins are forgiven. That's when the other guests are wondering, who is this who forgives sins? But Jesus gives her that gift. A confirmation, your sins have been forgiven. <clears throat> Do you know that your sins are forgiven? It's a great gift. You and I are not to wallow in guilt. We are not to carry that burden, continue to be, carry that burden with us. We are to receive the forgiving grace of God and be filled with love for him. 
So the first gift was the confirmation of the grace that she's received. It's a testimony to her and others and a reassurance for her. But the second gift that Jesus gives her is peace. He says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It would have been in the, the, the Hebrew language. It's the wonderful word shalom. The peace of God. God has come to bring us peace, to take that burden of sin away and to make our hearts be at peace. Paul says in Romans 5, uh, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's peace in our relationship with God and there's peace within our own hearts. In uh, Philippians 4, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God guards you and guards your heart. And then just following that, Paul will say, and the God of peace will be with you. The turmoil that we feel when we're aware of our sin is taken away and we, God is no longer an enemy, he's a friend. He's a father. Uh, we no longer have the disturbance within, but we have a heart that can rest in the care of our God, the Almighty. And this is where we come to marvel. Marvel at the grace that God has poured out onto us, that God has had mercy on a sinner, and God welcomes the response of our love. This is part of what we uh, appreciate. I had a conversation in college with a friend who was living across the hallway from me, and it was a time in my life when God was helping me to appreciate his sovereign grace, uh, that he called me, not because of anything in me, but because of his mercy. And my friend and I were talking about Ephesians 1, where we have God predestined those to be adopted as sons, uh, that before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in him, not according to anything we had done, but according to his mercy, according to his good pleasure. That's why God loves you. That's why God forgives you, because it's his good pleasure. And my friend asked me, said the question, which was exactly the right question. He says, why me? Why me? Why you? It's because God and his glorious good pleasure has set his affection on you. And that should make us all marvel and wonder at God's grace. May you and I marvel at his condescending grace and may we stand amazed at the grace of God that brings forgiveness for sinners. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so appreciative and thankful for the message here. Thank you for the reminder of the forgiveness of sins through Christ. 
Thank you that you want to take that burden of guilt off of us so that we might live with peace of mind and peace of heart. May we find that to be true as we come to Jesus and may our lives be full of love and affection uh, for him because of what he has done on our behalf. And we ask, O Lord, that you would be pleased and glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.